Aren't those kids adorable? Oh my goodness, they're so cute. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We are working our way through John's Gospel, and today we will finish up chapter 9. So if you have Bibles with you, I'm going to start at verse 35, or you could follow on the screen. Scripture says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. So Lord, we thank you for your word, for the truth and the power and the authority that's in your word. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds, say, like, like good, rich soil to receive the the seed of your word, and plant it in us, O oh God. Let it bear abundant fruit, fruit that makes us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's give a little bit of backstory uh, to this account. In the beginning of John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, the disciples, the chapter begins with the disciples asking Jesus a question. They, they come across a man who'd been blind since birth, and so they had pretty much a theological question for Jesus. They said, what caused this man's blindness? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? They, they approached the, the man's uh, disability with the presumption that it was the result of some type of sinful activity. And Jesus' response to them was that it was neither person's sin. After that, Jesus took some of his spit and some dirt from the ground, made mud out of it, put it in the, the blind man's eyes, told him to go and wash his eyes, he, did, he does, and as a result, he's healed from blindness. Anybody been to the mud blind eye healing school? You know, just make the special mud. We can put it in these little packages. And for 19.95, but wait, there's more. If you order now, we'll send you two. <laughs> Save me, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to that school either. Um, in verses 13 to 34, we discover that this healing, yet again, was on a Sabbath. Jesus seems to love to heal people on the Sabbath, and it just irritates the Pharisees to no end. They are furious that, that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And so, because they're upset that this healing took place on the Sabbath, which just blows my mind, it's like, oh my God. Talk about not being able to see the forest for the trees. So because they're upset that Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath, and because they're politically and socially threatened by Jesus' presence and his success, what they decide to do is to interrogate this man who's born blind and his parents concerning Jesus. And uh, in the midst of the interrogation, they, they have a, a very negative perception the, the Pharisees do of Jesus. They say, we know this man's a sinner. Tell us what you think of him. And the blind man, I love the purity of his heart. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Verse 25, he says, one thing I do know. I was blind, 
And now I see. Kind of hard to argue with that, right? I once was blind, and now I see. And so, not surprisingly, it seemed almost inevitable, they throw the man out. They excommunicate him from their faith community. And that, that part of the story, that brings us to where we are today at verse 35. So let me just look at those first three verses, 35 to 38 again. Jesus heard that, he, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, that I may believe in him. Jesus says, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Get this. Don't miss this. Jesus found him. The scripture says that Jesus found him. This is astonishingly good news. What God seeks out people. What God seeks out his people. Most gods expect the, the people to come to them and to you know, come and bring their offerings and to bow down and make sacrifices. Not our God. Our God is the one who goes and seeks and finds. He goes. That's good. Do you see what good news that is today? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. That's the story of this man's life. He was blind, and now he sees. He was lost, and he's been found by Jesus. The scripture tells us that Jesus went and found him. Once again, Jesus is, he takes the initiative. Just like he did when he calls his disciples, follow me. <laughs> And I'll make you fishes of men. Jesus took the initiative there. Just like he did with creation and with the incarnation, God took initiative. He took the first step. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us. As a matter of fact, if you look in scripture, when man tried to build a tower to go from man to God, it wasn't good. It's not his design. It's not his way that we would somehow, by our effort, make our way from where we are to where he is. He comes to us. In our lostness, he seeks us and he finds us. That's Jesus' way. Jesus initiated, just like he did with his disciples, just like he did with creation and the incarnation, just like he did with the healing. It wasn't like this was a blind man who was yelling out, Jesus, heal me. You know, have mercy on me. There were others who did that, but not this man. He was just minding his own blind business. And in his blindness, he's sitting there, and some of Jesus' friends want to have a theological discussion. And Jesus wasn't content with that. And Jesus didn't blame him for his condition. And Jesus healed him. Just like Jesus initiated the healing, in this man's lostness, in his rejection from his community, Jesus initiates and he goes and he finds him. This is good news. This is extraordinarily good news. It's good news for us. It's good news for our friends. It's good news for our loved ones. As a matter of fact, in Luke 19.10, this is what Jesus says of himself. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his purpose. That's what he came to do. That means that it's not incumbent upon us to seek and find him. It's not necessary for us to seek him to find him. It's not our duty. It's not our responsibility. 
It is his purpose. It's why he came. He came to seek us. And I'd be willing to bet, if you look back on your spiritual journey, as I look back on mine, he came and found me, even as I was running from him. Even as, as I was living a lifestyle that was opposed to the lifestyle that you would expect a Christian to live. He, seek, he sought me out. He did it effectively. He found me. He rescued me. This man whom Jesus healed was rejected by his religious community. And our Jesus made a point of it to meet him where he was and to receive him. It hurts. You guys, many of you have been there. It hurts to be reject, rejected by others. Especially when it's the members of, of or the leaders of your own religious community. Even more so when you've done nothing wrong. Nothing to deserve it. What did this guy do? He was born blind and Jesus showed up and healed him. And this is what he just told the religious leaders. I got touched by God. I could see like I've never been able to see before. What did they do? They threw him out. <laughs> they rejected him. But Jesus didn't reject him. As a matter of fact, Jesus went and sought him out with, with this in mind, that it's time to go deeper. Not only did Jesus initiate the healing, not only did Jesus seek him and find him after he was rejected, Jesus takes the relationship deeper. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus calls on this, this heal, now healed man to fully believe. And he does. Basically, Jesus' question to him is this, do you trust God? Do you believe? It's that same word, that same Greek root word, pistis. Every time we see faith or belief or believe, it means trust. Jesus is asking this unnamed man who's now healed, do you trust God? Do you trust the Son of Man? Son of Man is a, was a commonly understood messianic title. Do you trust the Messiah? And the healed man in response says, who is he? Just get where he's at right now. Jesus is in front of him. This is the one who's healed his eyes. He doesn't know that this is the Messiah. He probably got good feelings for Jesus, but he obviously doesn't know. He's asking, who is he? He says, tell me that I might believe in him. Tell me so that I might trust him. 37, Jesus said, you've now seen him. With those eyes that I just healed, those eyes that could see for the first time, those eyes that I've never seen before, you now see him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And Jesus reveals himself to the man as God. Interesting how God's ways work, how his ways really aren't our ways. I'm not sure that many of us would expect this to be the spiritual journey that someone would go through, where Jesus would first meet his, his actual physical needs. He would have eyes that see. And that the next step after having a physical need met would be persecution. Where does that figure in in the typical timeline of somebody's spiritual journey? But he's persecuted at the hands of the Pharisees. And then he's called to faith. Strange. Not how I'd expect the process to work out. It'll play out. I wonder, are we willing to allow God to work things out differently in people's lives today? So then in verse 38, the man responds. He says, he says to the man, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I worship you. And I take note here, the word worship in this text, what that means 
The word worship here means to drop to your knees or on your face and worship. So here we are out in public, and the, this man has this incredible epiphany. His eyes are open not only physically, but spiritually. He gets to see the Messiah. And his response was perfect. He gets on his face before God, and he worships him. This man out in public, on his face before Jesus, worshiping. This man did what the Pharisees obviously weren't, weren't willing to do. Because this man could see what the Pharisees weren't willing to see. This man saw that Jesus wasn't just a gifted teacher. He could see that this man was the Messiah. This man could see that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God's own son, that he was the son of man. So he drops to, to the ground at Jesus' feet and he worships him. What I think is interesting to note here is that when the, when the man worshipped Jesus, Jesus received his worship. Isn't that interesting? This is something that no man in the Bible would allow to happen. No angel in the Bible would allow to happen. I can remember being at an outreach once at Burning Man, and we had a, the team I was working with, we had a powerful experience with this, with this man who was, um, was a shaman. And he had had such a powerful spiritual experience after we ministered to him. He told us that he, this was the brightest white light he'd ever seen before when we ministered to him. And he dropped to the ground and wanted to worship at my feet. <laughs> I'd never had that experience before. So I bent down and I picked him up. I said, we're just brothers. I said, you don't worship me. I said, the light lives in me, but I'm not the light. This man dropped at Jesus' feet and worshipped him, and Jesus allowed him. He allowed him to worship him. That's because Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a godly man. He wasn't just a, a gifted teacher. He wasn't a prophet or just a prophet. He wasn't an angel. He was actually God. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. And so when the, when the man bowed down to worship, it was appropriate because Jesus was and is worthy of our worship. He is worthy to be praised. So we see over time, over a relatively short period of time, from the beginning to the end of this chapter, that this man has an increasing awareness of who Jesus actually is. In, I don't think you have these on the slide, but in John 9, 11, he knew of him as a man called Jesus. In verse 17, he, the man refers to Jesus as a prophet. In verse 33, he refers to him as a man from God. In verse 38, as the son of man, worthy to be praised. Doesn't it usually work that way? Doesn't, is that how it usually works in relationships? That understanding and insight grows with exposure, with interaction. The more he knew Jesus, the more he could see who Jesus actually was. So it is with us. So in verse 39, Jesus takes the opportunity to editorialize on the circumstances that are playing out around him. He distinguishes between the blind and the seen. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I like the way the message uh, words, verse 39. I like going to the message. It sometimes says it in a way that I think better articulates the intent of the author. And 
So this is the message version of verse 39. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made the, a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Let me say that again. Verse 39 of John chapter 9 from the message. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see. And those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. I love that. Jesus came to take what was out of right order and put it into right order. He came to open blind eyes. He came to open blind physical eyes and blind spiritual eyes. And in so doing, he exposed the blindness of the Pharisees' religious traditionalism. I have to tell you, if you haven't picked this up yet, I carry a passion for that in my heart. I feel like one of the things that God made me to do, one of the things he created me to do, was to open blind spiritual eyes. Why? Because he opened my blind spiritual eyes. And I'm pretty excited about it. I, I so want to take what God's given me and offer that to other people. It's one of the driving passions of my life. We often have a passion for what we've been given. If you've been set free from something, you want to see other people set free from it. If you've been given a blessing, if you've been given some, some favor, some advantage, you want to have, allow other people the same, the same experience. I live for this. I live to open blind spiritual eyes. The word see here in verse 39 is the same word see in John 5.19 when Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The word sees there, and I've told you this before, is, is the Greek word blepo, B-L-E-P-O. And it means to perceive by the senses. There's a, it's more than just physical sight. It's insight. It's intuition. It's sensitivity. It's to be able to hear what's unsaid. Read between the lines. Read the white. How many different ways can I say it? To know that you know, deep down in your knower, means to see. Those are the eyes I want to open. That we could be like Jesus. That we could see what the Father's doing. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just kick up your spiritual journey to a whole nother level? Wouldn't that bump that up to notches unknown? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that help us to be more like him if we could see what he's seen and then do what he did because he saw the Father doing it? I don't know, maybe I'm too simple. Well, when he said this, it really tweaked the Pharisees. And I'm thinking pretty much that's why he said it. In verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? <laughs> and the obvious answer is yes. You're blind? Of course you're blessed. You're, you're blind. Who else would I be talking to? Yes, you're blind. God's standing right in front of you in the flesh doing God-sized things. And you argue over religious traditions. Are you kidding me? I would want to say, guilty as charged. Hey, if the shoe fits, buddy, wear it. 
Of course you're blind. Who else do you think I'm talking to? Not the guy who could see now. Not the guy who was blind yesterday you could see today. Not the guy you interrogated. You. Of course you're blind. That's how Tom would say it. Aren't you glad Jesus is better than me? In verse 41, Jesus says, If you are blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Again, I think the message says it a little bit better. Jesus said, if you were really blind, you'd be blameless. But since, but since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. See, those who admit their spiritual blindness can find sight in Jesus. But those who falsely claim to have spiritual sight, and can't we tell by chapter 9 of John's Gospel already that the Pharisees are blind? Their long-awaited Messiah is walking before them in the flesh, and they miss it repeatedly. There's a spiritual blindness there. There's a false claim of spiritual sight on their behalf. So those who falsely claim to have spiritual sight are blind indeed. The prideful, arrogant, unteachable, religious know-it-alls. Yes, of course, they're spiritually blind. These Pharisees, they sneer at Jesus confident in their own spiritual insight, which was actually just blindness. Why? Well, obviously they couldn't see God standing right before them. So Jesus tells them, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. If the Pharisees would admit their spiritual blindness, if they would humble themselves, if they would let go of their arrogant, prideful, unteachable position, and admit that they could possibly be wrong, oh my God, they could be forgiven and set free. But because they claim that they got it all right, that they know it all, they claim that they can see, then of course their guilt remains. So here in John 9, I think Jesus paints a picture for us on how our blind souls get healed. All of us are spiritually blind. That's how we start the journey. And then Jesus takes the initiative. In one way or another, he heals us from our spiritual blindness. He does a supernatural work in us. He does something that only he could do. And as a result, we could see like we've never been able to see before. And when the religious establishment rejects us for it, and it's often the case... He seeks us and he finds us. And he saves us. No wonder. Is it any wonder that we worship at his feet? So what's our Monday morning takeaway? Well, I got a few points. First one is this. Each person's spiritual journey is custom made for them. I think that's one of the things that we can learn from the story of this this man who was born blind, and, and what he went through. Jesus didn't do it in him in some cookie-cutter fashion. You know, follow these three steps, say the magic words, and yes, you too can enter the kingdom of God. That's not how he did it. You know? And aren't you glad that part of the entry process into the kingdom today isn't mud in your eyes? Each spiritual journey is custom-made. The way Jesus worked in the life of this 
man born blind was unique to him. Think about it. It was different than how he called Peter. It was different than the relationship he had with Mary and Martha. He'll work differently in each of our lives. Maybe our Monday morning takeaway is giving people grace for their own spiritual journey. I'm convinced that the job title of Savior is filled and that he's doing an excellent job. Just like he got you saved, he'll get them saved. Just like he got you into the kingdom, he'll get your friends into the kingdom. He'll get your family members into the kingdom. Maybe it'll look different than how he did it in you. I think another Monday morning takeaway is our growing understanding of who God is. Throughout this chapter, John chapter 9, this man's understanding of Jesus grew. And so it is with us. After almost 40 years as a Christian, guess what? I'm still learning. If I've learned anything, is I don't, I don't know it all. This is what it feels like to me. It's like I'm on this journey and I open up a door and I step into something new and there's 10 new doors in front of me. Which each, with each revelation of who God is, I discover that he's bigger and grander and that he's deeper and wider and there's so much more. The more I, I, I learn, the less I know, so it seems. Or I'm just becoming aware of the limitations of my knowledge. Isn't that how it ought to be? God's so big. For me, it's just been a continual, unfolding revelation. I've not arrived. None of us have arrived. None of us know it all when it comes to God. It's to our great advantage to be like this man born blind, to stay open, receptive, and teachable when it comes to our faith. That was the stark difference between him and the Pharisees. He wanted to know. They didn't because they thought they already knew. The man born blind, he wanted to know. Show me who he is so that I might believe. And the Pharisees in, in, the opposite, in the opposite place. You know, when you're blind and you can see, you don't care that it happened on the Sabbath, right? You don't even think, maybe you don't even know it's the Sabbath. Just the ridiculousness of the Pharisees that this would be their issue. Instead of celebrating the fact that this man's eyes are open. So it's to our great advantage to stay open and receptive and teachable when it comes to our faith. Those are the very things the Pharisees were unwilling to do. And as a result, they missed the Messiah. The man born blind, he didn't miss the Messiah. The Pharisees did. Telling, isn't it? So I ask you this morning, and I don't need to know the answer, but you do. Who are you? Who are you in John chapter 9? Are you the man born blind who can now see? Or are you the Pharisee who thinks he can see but it's actually blind? Who would you rather be? Well, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I, I don't know. Which am I? Well, I'll give you a dipstick test. You know what a dipstick test is? Kind of put the stick in, you pull it out, see how much oil's there. Oh, I'm a quart load. <laughs> I need a little bit more. This, here's your dipstick test. One way to tell is how, is how you treat those who've had their eyes open. How do you treat people who've had their spiritual eyes open? How do you treat them? Do you celebrate their newfound sight? Or do you interrogate them? 
Just saying. I know what it's like to be interrogated by Pharisees because my spiritual eyes have been opened. It's no fun. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, I never asked for this. I never asked for a pastor who would talk about these kind of things or take us down this path. The man born blind didn't ask for it either. God just showed up in front of him one day. It was a God thing. God sent someone who had a passion to open blind eyes and open this blind man's blind eyes. God sent you, a pastor, who has a passion to open blind spiritual eyes. So think about it. Did you invite me here to tell you what you already know? <laughs> Is that why I'm here? You've all been Christian most of you for a long time. Did you bring me here to tell you what you already know? Why? That would be a waste of my time and yours. Or could it be that God sent me somehow? He sent you someone who has what you didn't even know you needed. Could it be? Could be. I don't know. Final, final Monday morning takeaway. Can you see? Can you see? Are your eyes open? Can you blepo? Can you perceive by your spiritual senses? If you can't, then boy, do I have a course for you. <laughs> Starting Mondays in October. I think you'll find it really helpful. The purpose for which I designed that class, which is free, I'm making anything on this. It's going to freely give away what I receive. Actually, freely give away some that I spent thousands of dollars receiving and getting trained to do is to help open blind spiritual eyes, to help you perceive better by your spiritual senses. Mark Monday nights in October after Thanksgiving. And consider coming tomorrow night to the, to the video series we're going to do, beginning with Finger of God. Why am I showing those videos? I want them to whet your appetite. I want them to stir up hunger and appetite and desire within you for more of God. If you watch those videos and agree with only 10% of what's in it, it's worked out that 10%. Even if it just lights a little bit of fire, stirs up, more, stirs up something inside of you for more God. Unless you feel like, if you are, that's awesome. Unless you feel like your container is filled to overflowing. When our daughter was about five years old, we were sitting at the dinner table one night, and Nadine made chocolate cake and told Lisa, you have to eat all your dinner or there'll be no chocolate cake. Now, we didn't have chocolate cake too often, and so she was pretty excited to have chocolate cake. And so she gets about halfway through dinner, and she's not finished. And, but she wanted some chocolate cake, and Nadine told her, said, hey, I told you before dinner. If you don't eat all your dinner, you don't get any chocolate cake. She says, Mommy, you don't understand. Five years old, so she says to us, she says, my food compartment is full. <laughs> But my dessert compartment is empty. 
I'll tell you what, using the word compartment twice appropriately, she got you on the cake. <laughs> what about your spiritual compartment? Is your compartment full? Is your spiritual compartment full? Is, your, is the compartment in your heart for the Holy Spirit and His working and His ways and His moving in your life full to overflowing? If that's you, that's awesome. Would you come and lay hands and pray for me? Because I could use some of it. But if you feel like your compartment isn't full, then my heart as your pastor is to offer more. Not all, not everything, not the full sum of who God is, but the portion that I have to offer. And so as we begin our new season, don't you know that the church calendar kind of follows the school calendar, right? School begins in September. Well, the church kind of picks up again in September. And so this push, this emphasis in this next beginning season for Charlottetown Community Church and start tomorrow night with those videos. Could it be that God wants to open your eyes, maybe for the first time, or he wants to open them to a greater degree? I feel like I've barely scratched the surface to who he is and that he has so much more for us, and he has more for me, and he has more for you. So we'll start those videos tomorrow night and the workshop in October. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, show us how to pray. Show us how to pray, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.